The world of marketing is ever-changing and can be confusing, frustrating, and outright exhausting. Welcome to Unbottled, the marketing podcast where experts share their experiences, stories, and best practices on online and internet marketing. Featuring Steve Wiedemann, former marketer for Disney, Skechers, and other well-known brands. Break through the hype with real marketing tips from industry leaders. This is Unbottleneck. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Unbottleneck, the podcast where we solve common digital marketing problems. And today we're starting with a core problem that a lot of small businesses have, and that is around web design, not just about getting traffic to your site, but having a site itself. Uh, and with us, our guest is Travis. Um, Travis is the founder and CEO of Glide, a values-driven digital creative agency based in Austin, Texas, one of my favorite cities in the world, by the way. Um, their focus is to work with startups, nonprofits, and difference makers, all passionate and wanting to do amazing things. The Glide mission is to create digital experiences that are beautiful, useful, and produce lasting results. On the board, he's also on the board of Entrepreneur um, Organization, giving back to his business community. And Travis has a full-on ninja course in his backyard. Travis, thanks so much for joining us today. And tell us about this ninja course. Sure, sure. Yeah. So when I, I'm, I'm 43 now, just turned 43. But back when I was turning 40, I, I thought, you know, I want to do something big. And, um, it just so happened that I, uh, my, my family, I have, I have four kids at the time. It was my two daughters were really big into to Ninja. We started watching American Ninja Warrior. We got like hard okay. into it. And, um, and so I went and bought this, like, uh, you know, the strap, this, you could like strap the trees that has all these, uh, rings and monkey, monkey rings on them. The kids loved it. And I was like, that's not enough. You know, we need to go bigger. Right. So uh, I think my life motto is. Um, uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. So I spent, I don't know, probably a couple of weeks researching and looking on the internet for people that have built ninja courses in their backyard. And, and I bought, I purchased uh, SketchUp, which is a 3d design program. And I just designed my own, um, you know, ninja course. And, and then I built it. Now I'm in Texas and in Texas, there's like six inches of, of actual dirt. And then it's just solid rock. You know, yeah. so I had to I had to rent a, a pneumatic jackhammer, oh and, and I spent two. I'm just picturing you out there in the backyard doing a jackhammer thing, and your family just looking out the window, going, "What is he doing?" I'm talking like a like a yeah, like a 50 pound, like I mean, you know, like you know, the kind you would see in a movie, right? Yeah. Um, and um, but I spent two solid weekends just jackhammering uh, holes into solid rock, oh uh, so God. I could get these big. 16 foot posts into the ground. I don't know what I was thinking. I probably broke a bunch of like deed restrictions on my house, you know, like yeah. <laughs> putting this course in and, but it's great. It's done. The kids loved it. You know, we've been uh, goofing around on it for years and um, no one's gotten hurt. I did take a pipe, a galvanized pipe to the eye. Okay. I had to, get, I had to drive myself to the ER. Oh my God. Uh, in the middle of the night because my mom, my wife was here and with yeah. the kids and she couldn't drive me because it was like, I was working out there at 12 o'clock at night. Oh. Um, but other than that, you know, so there are blood, sweat and tears, you know, in the, in the course, but anyway, that's probably longer than you needed. We're not, so you got, you got injured more making the course than, uh, than performing on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. But it's great. Maybe I can uh, send you a picture or something like that. Yeah. I'd love that. That'd be great. So we're going to talk about essentials of design. That's uh, so many, so many businesses out there uh, are, are focused on client acquisition that they don't stop to really think about what, uh, what kind of presentation they're giving to people who visit their website. What's the, 
what's the message? What what does their website convey about who they are as a brand and their company? And you'd mentioned, you know, on on your website and in the past, you know, that uh, the mission of Glide is to create digital experiences that are beautiful and useful and produce lasting results. Uh, can we break each one of those down? Like, what makes for a beautiful digital experience for users? That's an awesome question. And, you know, it kind of goes back to the Glide ethos, right? So the Glide ethos, we call it beauty and results. And a lot of times when you think of beauty, you're immediately thinking of presentation of aesthetics of visuals. But, you know, we look way beyond that. You know, to us, beauty is simplicity, right? It is usability. Right. Uh, it is brevity clarity, humanity, right? Like in, in, in all of these terms, these entity terms, whatever these terms, you know, they all relate to what I call a delightful digital experience, right? So I love the word delight, you know, to, to me, delight is this such a ple pleasant word because it means that you are like surprised in a good way. You know, if you think about, uh, you know, beautiful, you know, beautiful things tend to do that to you. And, and so obviously uh, I, I come from a background in, in architecture, uh, I got my degree in architecture and, and timeless design principles like form follows function, right? Less is more, Mies van der Rohe. And, sure. and so um, we have kind of unabashedly stolen a principle from uh, a, another organization much larger than us, Huge Inc. If you're familiar with them, they're a very large global uh, digital agency. Um, they, they have a principle they call less but better, right? So I think there's an element of beauty that always comes with the simplicity. And the less but better concept is to remove the clutter and to magnify what remains. And I think that typically when you when you see things that are beautiful, that is one of the defining traits. There's a simplicity to them and what remains is magnified. Um, it's very rare that you have something that's extremely cluttered, you know, at least in a digital experience, in a digital experience. But sure. And yeah. I've seen some of the work that you've done and it's it's spectacular. Uh, Next is useful, right? How does the site need to be useful? So useful is to me a, an element of usability, right? Okay. And, you know, I think that in the grand scheme of things, people really honestly don't care, like in the business world, what your website looks like for the most part. They have a problem and they're trying to solve it and they have a pain point and, you know, your product or service is not the hero of their experience on your website. They right. are the hero of their story. And you are the expert guide and you are not going to accomplish that through a bunch of whiz bang, you know, parallax scrolling and, you know, all these other fancy animated, you know, motion and things like that. These types of things should augment the experience. But, but really what it comes down to is people want to solve a problem. And I think if you can help them solve a problem in an elegant and beautiful way, then more power to you. I have a quote on my wall back here that says, don't make something unless it is both necessary and useful. But if it is both necessary and useful, don't hesitate to make it beautiful. And the whole concept is, nice. you know, useful comes first, right? Form follows function, right? So, sure. um, so anyway, that, that to me is, is uh, you know, when you talk about effective, effective is it solves the problem. Mm -hmm. Efficient is it solves the problem with the least amount of effort, right? So yep. I think useful has those components in it. I love that. And I think Shopify does, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but Shopify does such a great job when I think of usefulness because um, it's it's kept me off Instagram quite a bit. Whenever I see an ad on Instagram, I find that within 30 seconds, I've made a purchase with one hand, right? Because Shopify just makes that mobile experience since you've already used um, you know, their, their shop app and everything. Within seconds, you're able to find the product that you like, um, go through that checkout process with a few taps of your thumb, 
and then hate yourself after for being so impulsive. Mm. So, <laughs> so um, producing lasting results. You know, what are those results that uh, you know you consider to be stressful and um, and lasting? Sure. Successful yeah. and lasting. Yeah. Successful. Yeah. You know. So again, the the glide ethos of beauty and results, right? So. Yeah. I look at it as a Venn diagram. You, you know, there are many people that want something that looks nice. There are many people that could care less about what it looks like and just want the results. But I think great companies, great marketing folks, they want both, right? You want to beautifully represent your brand, mm-hmm. but you uh, but you want to accomplish business objectives. So to me, the definition of results is the technical acumen to deliver on business objectives, right? Okay. So you, you start with kind of, who are the people that are coming to their website? All right, in in, in the context of websites, right? You know, or, or digital experiences for that matter. Uh, what are they looking for, right? And then how can we help them and make that easier for them? And 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 so that the end result is more people do what you want them to do. Um, you know, I think that on a really great project, there is no reason why you shouldn't see a two to four x increase in any engagement metrics, whether it's primary calls to action, like. Sure. On a B2B website, you know, filling out a consultation request or a phone request. number, right? Yeah. Or a secondary call to action, like, you know, hey, download this white paper, stuff like that. There's mm-hmm. just no reason why that's not possible. Um, you know, I think that it, through a thoughtful process, and, and sometimes I think that uh, if, if you don't start from the place of, okay, who are the personas? What are their user paths? Uh, you know, what are, what are the pain points? Are, have you done, have you actually talked to real customers through stakeholder interview? Um, have you, have you done a, a survey to understand what in mind for, you know, repetitive strategies that, that could, that could be, or, you know, repetitive or recurring themes and feedback from the client and customers that sure. are visiting the site that could turn into strategies and tactics. So who is a tough one for you then on that topic? A lot of businesses are super busy trying to run their business. So when those types of questions come up and you say, Hey, have you done this? And, um, you know, have you, have you taken the time to do all these things? And the business is like, look, I'm just trying to survive the pandemic. I'm, I've got a budget. I need to build a website. Do you, do you sort of jump in and say, no problem. Give us the name of some of your clients and, and we'll do some of that grunt work. Or, or is your success dependent on the client getting, um, you know, deeply involved in, in the beginning with um, a lot of that work? I think it's twofold. I mean, I definitely think that a project is more successful with a highly engaged partnership or collaboration. Right. It's very rare that you can I just kind of throw a check over the fence and expect a great result um, mm-hmm. and not be involved in the project process itself. Sure. <clears throat> but I will say that, you know, great agencies have the wherewithal, right, to, yep. you know, to start and finish. Uh, like a good example is like an email survey, right? You know, sure. um, most great companies have some type of mailing list, right? Let's say yeah. they have 10,000 people in their mailing list. Well, you know, the nice thing about this is if, if a good proportion of that is past customers, past customers are like more than likely to respond. I mean, you might get a 30 to 40% response rate on an email that says, Hey, we're trying to improve ourselves and improve our website. We would love your feedback. Maybe you could throw in a free iPad, you know, for like one lucky person or whatever. But the point is you're going to get 20, you're going to get all of your feedback within the first 24 or 48 hours. And it, and if you can try to figure out a way to have quanti- quantitative you know, feedback and qualitative, because obviously no one wants to sift through a thousand emails. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you could stack rank features that are important or areas that uh, of friction that you already know and have them kind of rank those. And then 
algorithmic me, you know, you could have 10,000 people give feedback that would give you really great customer voice. So mm-hmm. we could do something like that with the client with all they got to do is give us their mailing list, or we could give them the, 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 the email and then they could send that themselves. And that's gotta be a huge relief to a lot of businesses. Like, like I mentioned that are under resourced, especially our larger brands. I think we were talking about that a little bit uh, earlier before the, the show started about how larger brands are, um, you know, the, the folks that are working in the digital marketing departments are carrying a lot of responsibility and they want to do as much hands off as they can and still see results. So it's great that, um, you know, that there are businesses like yours that are willing to take the baton and say, but don't worry, don't, I'm not going to add more work to your plate. Here's what we need from you to help you through that. I think yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And, you know, just the iterative approach would be also just, I mean, depending on the client, what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, sometimes just very basic best practice. We have a client that's a small business owner. I think they have about uh, 15 employees. They're here in in, in Austin, serve a regional audience. And, you know, they they had just some basic fundamental things. Like even if we weren't going to engage with them, they could go and it's like, just add a primary call to action here and here. And and, and I realize your buy now button is gray. Yeah, like, like sometimes it, it's like it's literally like if they if they have you know it's like wow you could two x your conversion by just doing these three things. Right? Yeah, you know, so. I love that. Well, speaking of, of of conversion and user experience, um, how do you define user experience in web design? So you know, I think user experience in general is just the totality of the customer experience, right? As they engage with your brand, I mean, it's it's more than just a website, right? Um, but as we kind of dial into the, to the website or the digital, you know, specifically the web experience, to me, it's, it's, it's that, it, you know, you look at the customer journey and you say, okay, I have a need, I have this awareness of a need and I'm going searching, right? I've, 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 I've you know, I'm in Google or, or, you know, I've clicked on a link on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a referenced brand or an email or in social media and I arrive on your site and it's the experience that they have as they go through trying to accomplish their goal. And, you know, where are they meeting with obstacles? Where are they, you know, able to succeed? And do they arrive at the, at the ultimate result that they were trying to go for? You know, and so the, the user experience is that, that entire experience. It's emotional. You know, if you look at the customer journey, there, you know, there's pain points, there's success, right? I found a solution that's speaking to me, that, that it can describe my problem better than I can. Wow, this is what I've always been looking for, you know. Now... I go to the form and I try to fill it out and I can't, right? You know, or whatever. Um, so to me, the user experience is the totality of the user experience on is specifically to your website, you know, from the place where they arrive on your website to the place where they leave your website. And, you know, and did they accomplish the goal that they were trying to accomplish? I mean, that is the essence of good UX, right? You know, is to help people do what you want them to do. Yeah. And I think, I think when we look at other digital marketing mediums, UX affects all of them and affects referral traffic because people are going to bounce if they don't find what they need. It affects SEO because they're going to go back to Google search results and choose a competing listing. And Google's going to see that behavior over time and start to demote the listing. Um, thinking about that, that UX again, what, what do you feel are the most important elements of a strong and successful user experience? What are, what are sort of, you know, a couple of best practices that, um, you know, webmasters can pay, pay attention to? Yeah. You know, this is an awesome question. I, I have a trouble being concise. So I'm going to try to be concise. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times when you engage with an agency as a brand or as a, as a, as a business or an organization, you kind of in your head assume there's some strategy going on, but really ultimately you're like, okay, show me the design. So they think a lot of times when they engage to do a redesign effort on a website, it's like, okay, well, what does the homepage look like? Right. Whatever. Or like, you know, uh, maybe there's some content or information architecture or sitemap. 
But you always want to start, uh, I would say the elements of user experience. There's this great book, you know, the elements of user experience, right? It's come out you know, many years ago. And I love the idea of these planes, right? So th this concept of planes. So you kind of start with the strategy plane. And the strategy plane is who are the people that are coming to the site and what are their needs, right? And, and I would almost go back to if it's B2B, it might be the ICP, right? Is the ideal customer profile. And the ideal customer profile is black and white. It is organizations that have 10 to 1,000 employees with revenue of $10 million or more, What you know, things like that. And then the personas inside those, right? Like who are the champions and the influencers inside those organizations that are arriving on this site? Who are the decision makers? And I think in today's business climate, for most organizations that aren't brand centric uh, and consumer centric, you know, decisions are being made as teams, right? So you have to think about all the people that might potentially be visiting the website. So user needs, uh, again, trying to go fast, user needs side objectives, right? What, and then you kind of move up a notch in, in another plane. And now you're kind of in like kind of choice, trying to kind of understand the scope. And this sure. might be the content requirements. What, what, you know, what type of content, you know, and, and, and it might be the existing website and, and mm -hmm. a legacy or new. And then also like, are there specific functionalities? Like if you're a, a multi-location, you have 150 locations, then, you know, you really have to think through how we have right now, we have a client and they have dental offices, right? So they okay. have, they have uh, about 200 locations nationwide. Sure. And, um, and each of these locations, what we start to realize is the brand almost becomes transparent because when a mom is trying to get her daughter braces, right? She wants to get to the doctor's office and see who are the doctors, mm -hmm. where's the location, how far am I going to have to drive? You know, it's like, right. We and reviews. Want, yeah, you know, so and, and so like, thinking about that experience of getting her to there, that's the functional function. You know, and then we then we go up a notch, another plane into the structure of everything, and that's the information architecture. Information architecture and UX kind of go, you know, really are, are well connected and go hand in hand because that is how people flow through the information. Right. And and then another thing we think about, you know, in the information architecture is you take those personas and you take their hopeful goals. Uh, and you map the flow, which is called user flow. And so once you have all that, then you can start designing things. And, and, and usually it depends on you know, how, how much time we have, how quickly we're trying to get to market, but we mm -hmm. might do either story frames uh, or wire frames or low fidelity designs to kind of iterate and prototype. Um, if we have the ability, if the timeline allows, and if the client has the budget for it, we would want to yeah. actually go and get um, validated user testing, either unmoderated or moderated. Um, and then from there, we move into, you know, the visual design plan. Sometimes we, uh, you know, in our industry, we kind of talk about what all the, what we do. And, and sometimes when I try to summarize it, I say, Hey, look, it's the right person finding the right information at the right time, you know? And, you know, another way to think about it is who are the people, you know, at least a user experience as it pertains to a website experience, you could say, who are the people that are coming to the website? What are they looking for? And how do we make it easier for them to find? I mean, when you think about most website experiences, especially in B2B or, or in a business context, <clears throat> there is someone who has arrived in their customer journey and in, in, a, in a place of awareness. I have something that I need to do. And, you know, <clears throat> if you think about a user experience, you can think, okay, I'm trying to do something. So a user experience is their entire experience of doing that thing, right? So... If I'm a marketing manager in my um, in my VP of you know demand generation or the CEO you know comes to me and says, hey, look, we want to redesign our website. Mm -hmm. The first thing they're going to do is say, okay, let's go and, and look around and see. Maybe they've been referred. You know, maybe they have a couple of folks they've they've worked with in the past. Regardless, 
Right. They go searching in organic search or they go to visit websites and it's that entire experience front to back, right? That is the user experience. And, you know, I think sometimes when you talk about user experience, it can be esoteric because you're just talking about it at a very high, like kind of academic level. But if you think about that, uh, you know, I just want to schedule my pet's, you know, uh, grooming appointment, right? What does that look like? Okay, well, I'm going to go to, you know, PetSmart. I'm going to punch in my zip code. I'm going to find a location. I'm going to book it. You know, what is that experience? And, and, you know, so you and then what you could do from our perspective, right? You know, you could look at that in terms of planes. So you have at the top, you have a business is trying to accomplish a goal, right? They are trying to sell a service. So these are the uh, objectives of the website. And then you have on the opposite side of that same coin, you have the user needs, right? A user is trying to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. So it kind of always starts there. And then you just move your way through in, in, into greater levels of fidelity until you get all the way to the visual, the visual plane, if you will. Um, but, you know, as you move through it, you kind of think about, OK, well, on the side of the uh, organizational needs, there's functionality requirements. So if you have a multi-location uh, franchise like PetSmart, mm-hmm. it might be, OK, we're going to need to you know, find a store functionality. So, right. you know, we're going to need and, you know, in, in considering that's a, a business to consumer, it's going to be mobile probably, you know, so people are going to be on their phone at a soccer game. And so we're going to need to make sure that we use GPS of a mobile device in order to auto map, you know, people's location so they don't have to type in their zip code. And, and, and the whole idea is how do we create a process? And I love the word delight, you know, to, to me, yeah, delight is use that all the time. delightful experience. <laughs> yeah. Because delight is to me, it's, it's about being surprised. It's about exceeding people's expectations in a way where, uh, you know, a thing that they're trying to do is easier than they thought it was going to be. And, and it, it, it creates a great brand experience. It creates a great user experience. And, um, and there's just, it, sometimes it's subtle, it's subtlety. It could be, uh, what what people call these days motion UI. It might just be that the interface itself is like buttery smooth. You know, uh, obviously it's, it loads quickly, but also just the way things move on the page. And it, and it could be just that it's clear and simple, that buttons aren't super tiny. They're not positioned in, in locations that make it hard for your finger to reach. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm kind of meandering a little bit, but, you know, these are just some of the anecdotal examples of what, you know, I think user experience is about. Yeah, I think it, I think it's from beginning to end, right? I, I several times I've purchased from even the restaurant chains we work with, and I've complained and I've said I, I can't order this thing, I can't customize this item the way I could if I called it in. I can't, um, you know, I, I have to keep putting in my my information over and over and over again. It's getting really annoying, right? It's like it's just like you said, having somebody get just have a, a full on smooth, simple experience. I saw what I needed, I found it quickly, I I had options. I wasn't overwhelmed by it, and I was able to check out and purchase with the most minimal effort possible. Yeah, and I think that's that's you know at least for e-com, that's a uh, e-commerce. That's a big. I think that's a really big need. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, recently I decided to donate some money to Austin Pets Alive, which is a, okay. a, a pet shelter here in Austin, and oh, cool. you know I went through this process, and and they had an iframe for their donation page, which is you know oh, pretty common. God. Obviously, it, it, it averts things like PCA compliance being a need, and sure. um, but there's a slot where you can kind of donate in the name of. And I had a dog who passed away. Her name was Molly. I love her. Mm-hmm. She was my dog soulmate. Um, had her for 14 years. 
And so, you know, I checked the box to say, I'm going to, you know, donate this in Molly's name. And I, I kind of wrote this little like story of Molly, like, cause they gave you a spot for it. Right. And what I didn't realize was by checking that box and writing this story, it expanded down all of the, the functionality of the payment page below the field that the iframe allowed. So when I filled out all the you information, submit. yeah, I couldn't, oh, submit, I, I couldn't submit the payment. So I oh, sat there stuck. You. And I literally couldn't, I didn't understand because I never, I didn't see it move down when I checked the box. So I didn't know that's what broke it. So I had to ditch Mm -hmm. all of that stuff that I wrote about my dog that was like near and dear to my heart, like putting tears in my eyes, you know? And I mean, that's just a perfect example of a really terrible, I mean, I feel like if Austin Pets Alive hears this, please don't, you know, (laughs) you know, I reached out to them. They're doing the best they can, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing the best they can. So I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but it was a little bit heartbreaking that I wasn't able to share that story with them because I think it would have been poignant. I remember my friend Aaron Irizarry years ago. Um, he he gave a, a speech at a, a local search event once, and he was he was making some really interesting points. One of the clients he'd worked with was Penny Saver USA, and back in the old days when you would try to place an ad. Um, on a page that has tons of things going on, it felt impossible to find out where you go to actually place an ad. You're like, okay, I'm here looking around. I'm going through the menu, the nav. I'm going to the footer. Where the heck is it? You know, it was really frustrating. So one of the first things he did, you know, was he created a big orange button right at the top that said, place an ad. It seemed like it was the most common sense, simple thing to do, but the business didn't know any better. These were... These were publishers. These were people that, you know, that didn't have a lot of usability or website experience. They just created a place for people to place the ad that went in a physical newspaper that went out. Uh, and then he made it even simpler by by saying step one, step two. So instead of this monstrous form that you end up having to re- fill out twice because you took too long the first time or, or took too long in that first you know go at it. Um, now it's broken into step one, step two, step three. So at least... Um, they can continue and save and go back and and complete it if if for some reason they couldn't fill out the rest of that application. So it seemed like a really you know common sense thing to do. But I remember him telling me the story because he got sort of like a standing ovation from the business the next day when all of a sudden they had this flood of people actually placing ads because it was so much easier that people weren't confused and lost. The other thing he said that really caught my attention was that when somebody gets to a page on your website, if they have to look at the navigation to figure out what to do, then your page might have failed. Like the page should tell them right away what it is they, you know, should be doing or what it is that they're looking for. So I thought that was really interesting because, you know, it it, it makes a valid point. If if I get to a page, um, I want to know, you know, what what should I be doing? What's my call to action? Um, is everything I need to know on this page, or do I have to surf around the website a little bit to figure things out? If yeah. you have to think, it's a fail, right? You don't want the user yeah. to have to think. Steve Krug, man, don't make me think. It's one of my favorite usability books for the web of all time. And, you know, I, I think of like my brain just, my, you know, synapses are firing, you know, thinking of so many examples. <laughs> but like, I remember reading an article about Jeff Bezos when, when he was, um, you know, cause he's kind of a little bit of a tyrant, at least from my, from some of the things Uh-oh. I've read, but he talked about back when they were doing all the AWS stuff and he basically said, everything you make, you have to use. So like all the tools you're creating for the marketplace for people to use, you have to use those same tools to do the things that, that you're doing. And, and then he said, and, and, you know, F you have a great day, you know, like basically he was just like, and I think that's such a brilliant thing when you think about that, like imagine if, 
the person that made that payment form for Pets Alive, you know, was forced to go through that 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 experience, yeah. or it, you know, or any you know any experience like this. I mean, imagine if the people that make tents, you know, have to go and try to take a tent and roll it back up and put it in that tiny freaking bag that they give you that's never big enough. Right. Like once it comes out of the factory and you take it out of that bag, it will never go back in that same. Like if that person was forced to, to roll up a tent and put it back in the bag, they would make the freaking bag bigger, you know, like. And so it's just like I think that maybe, you know, like usability in the user experience would be so improved if people were forced to use the thing they were making right. in, in a real world environment, not in a you know, quasi testing just to see if it still works properly, sure. you know, but actually um, use it in real life, use it just so they can see what, what their experience would be as a customer, not as a developer. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's speaking of, of, of those, you know, those, those key points that can be really frustrating. Uh, what in your opinion are the most important elements of a stronger, successful user experience on a website? And I'm sure there's some, like, uh, of course, mobile, we know mobile is important, right? And really thinking about how users are moving to mobile. But um, what else? What do you feel are like those important elements? So, you know, I mean, if we're talking about a website experience, to me, mm -hmm. it, it starts with where you land, right? You okay. know, and, and like you said, I mean, it really kind of depends on the acquisition channel. I mean, if you're searching, you may be you may be arriving on an interior page of a website versus like the home page. I think a lot of times people put a ton of effort and energy into their home page because that's just the traditional place that that your brand exudes itself as an overview. But it's rare that your home page is always going to be the page that people arrive at. Now it's usually a highly trafficked page and it, it, it receives a lot of, of love and Google. It's interesting that you mentioned that because the homepage from an SEO standpoint is the page that shows up when somebody's searching for the brand. They already know the company. They know the website. They're accustomed to it. But when you're getting introduced to people who didn't search for the brand, like non-branded keywords, where those sub pages appear, you have a chance to make a first impression with someone and that page is never anything like the homepage. Exactly. So I you yeah. So you just touched on to me, what is the most important thing, which is in the first yeah. five to 10 seconds, I need to know who are you and, and what do you do? And, you know, I think a lot of times that the most organizations fail really, uh, really bad. I think there's a pretty prototypical design these days the, that have a masthead with some headline or something like that, that, yeah. you know, that I think most reasonably good yeah. companies are good at accomplishing but you like you said you know if you get dumped into an interior page and you're just in the middle of a conversation and so so first impressions right mm -hmm. and then also you know what's next right you know there should be like you said i mean i used to always say that you should know where you are where you can go and where you've been right you know in, in the web language you know you in the old days you know links would be purple if you visited them and blue mm -hmm. if you haven't right now that's long gone at this point um, I think for the most part, but I still think that sites should be able to, you know, uh, convey that. And I think a lot of modern marketing websites, you don't have like really deep navigational sets. And so, sure. you know, having breadcrumb navigation on a, on a simple marketing website, isn't always necessary. Although it, you know, there's an argument for some type of breadcrumb in some way, shape or form. to so just kind of show you where you're at in the site. And then, yeah, I mean, really it comes down to the context of like what device you're on. Right. So if I'm on a tablet or, or, I mean, <clears throat> you know, we're seeing a huge shift obviously in mobile is, is, I mean, that, that's kind of almost come and gone. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. you know, uh, Google's index is mobile first. Uh, you know, the vast majority of traffic, uh, especially for consumer is mobile. 
Um, For brands like Applebee's and Chili's, 84% of their traffic is mobile. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at why that's the case, you'll likely find that, you know, a lot of these brands are, are, you know, they're doing a lot of work with, you know, Facebook advertising or something like that. You know, so if you're getting a lot of traffic from social media, it's just a foregone conclusion that the vast majority of that traffic, 90 plus percent is mobile, you know. And, um, you know, what we do is uh, we have had a tough time designing for mobile first, because I think that sometimes when you design like truly mobile first, you almost have to design two whole sets of designs. Mm -hmm. When you design desktop, then mobile, you can kind of extrapolate by stacking and scaling and and things like that. But that's also kind of not preferred. So we actually do something we call unified design, where you design both at the same time. Um, And I think that gives you the best of both worlds, um, where it doesn't create a lot of duplicity um, where you're having to do, do the work twice. Um, sure. but, but anyway, so, yeah, so, you know, I think from a user experience perspective that, and then, you know, clear, clear calls to action. That's pretty obvious, right? You know, how, what are you trying to get people to do and how do you make it easier for them to do it? I think last time we talked, we talked about, uh, sticky buttons at the bottom, uh, or at the top of the page. I like, I like them at the bottom for, um, phone numbers and chat. I think it's, it's within thumbs reach for those people who use their phone in portrait. I don't know a lot of people still that, that do. Uh, that hold their phones landscape. I think a lot of people are still holding a portrait. So I feel like like the the conversion rate seems to be a little bit higher. People who visit the website are more likely to click on elements that are within thumb's reach of where they oh, yeah. are. All kinds in the that. header, you've got to go back up. Now you have to hold two hands or you've got to slide your hand up and try to hold and balance without dropping your phone. So I feel like that that footer sticky button, have you seen anything with that being something that, that has helped or hurt um, user experience or bounce rates? Oh yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many tactics when it comes to you know uh, UX design on you know what helps and, and what devices and you know we had a client retail me not and we we redesigned the mobile navigation you know so that it would be easier to reach the navigation because we kind of designed it and there was you know when you look at the desktop the way we designed it it kind of made more sense in some ways to have things a certain way and then you know and so it's just but yeah and and, and also we even created a, a, a sticky navigation set in the in the uh, that was affixed to the bottom of the mobile device okay um on that site in order it, with with quick links and, and uh, so i think you know i mean you can get really into the weeds on the on the you know the tactics that work i think they're 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 all something worth testing if it makes sense for your industry right so it's yeah. never just uh, just do this and it's going to work and that's <clears throat> that's something i think business owners are probably the most scared of is the fact that it's not just something they can pay for be done and move on it's something that you've got to constantly be you know, A-B testing and multivariant testing to see what really resonates with your visitors. And that means, yeah, there's going to be a lot of investment. There's going to be a lot of um, time, effort, energy you know, involved in that process if you want to, you know, really do a good job with with user experience. But um, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And in that process, though, have you seen, um, you know, some examples of like poor user experiences? You mentioned one minute ago where you're filling out a form and it expanded and you couldn't hit submit. What's another example or, or some common examples you see of poor user experience? Well, I mean, there's obviously the low hanging fruit of, of obvious, uh, you know, uh, site speed, you know, so a site yeah. is too slow. I mean, that is like a force multiplier to everything else being poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Gary Isle said you had two seconds. If that page doesn't load in two seconds, you know, they, they tend to bounce and go back and click another result. 
Yeah, and there's kind of two elements to sight speed. There's sight speed from a perceived perspective, like the actual human being that's holding a phone or, or, or browsing on a computer. And then there is how the, the bots and the algorithms, you know, look at your site because, you know, Google page speed is kind of a bane uh, in the, to the, to the life of developers and, and SEO optimists. And yep. uh, because it's very it's arbitrary, never consistent. you know, it's, it's arbitrary, it's not consistent, it's algorithmic and it, it you know, and, and obviously the, the, uh, those tools are their own worst enemy. Yep. I'm yeah. You. I mean, it, it correlates to the real world in certain ways, but a lot of ways it yeah. doesn't. You know, and especially when you have like an insane number of trackers on the site, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, uh, and so, it, so that, and then and it, when it comes to usability for me, I think navigation is a huge one. Um, one of the things that we have found time and time again is I could like, I, at this point now, 20 years in of building websites, I can probably tell you the age of a website within three to four years, just looking at the navigation. <laughs> like. Okay. Because like navigation says so much about a website, you know, when you have a website that's got three layers of navigation, this is, this is a tactic we used to use like back in the two thousands, you know, because, because like the CEO and the marketing director wanted every single link of the site, you know, in the navigation. And we thought, okay, well, we'll just do multiple layers. That'll make it easier for people. I remember you know? those days. Yeah. Um, another tactic that's kind of gone by the wayside is having a drop down, drop down for every single item where you have five to 10 sub navigation items or even flyouts to third level navigation. And this has been scientifically proven to increase cognitive load. I mean, there's a term, um, you know, and it, it basically is the paradox of choice, right? The paradox of choice says if you give people too many options, they won't choose anything, you know? And so there's this inverse correlation between the options you give people and how, how much they engage. And so we have a, a, a term that we use that we have just shamelessly stolen from an organization, Huge. Huge is a very large design uh, agency. And, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. They do everything. They're awesome. But they have a term called less but better, which is a derivation of, of less is more by Mies van der Rohe. Mm -hmm. And we love it because the way we define it is you reduce the clutter and you magnify what remains. And so I think that, you know, cluttered designs tend to, uh, you know, really screen poor user experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, honestly, I think that you can take a design that's extremely minimal and it will last three times longer. I, we have sites that we've built that are 10, 12 years old and right. like the client still likes it, you know, like, and you know, for whatever reason, they haven't redesigned their site. We've moved on. We forgot about, you know, whatever we forgot about them. And, you know, and we look at the site and we're like, you know, it, it, it aged really well when, when you have good information architecture and when you have like timeless design principles, like, mm -hmm. you know, minimalist, you know, focusing on calls to action, clear navigation, sure. These sites can age really well. In this day and age, it seems like you know people are redesigning their sites every three to five years. Or yeah, it's fa fashion versus style, right? It's you know keep that style and it, and it works, and it 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 might change or just barely update a few elements on it to you know to make sure it adapts to new mobile devices or whatever. But you're right; it makes it makes more sense when you when you really think about um, keeping it simple. Uh, for em emphasizing, you know, what the important elements are by by minimizing the things that they're not clicking on. That's where I'm sure heat maps and other pieces come into play of, of ways to discover what people are actually using and what they're not. Strip out what they're not. Emphasize, you know, what they are using the most. Now that we are mostly on mobile, you know, we don't have to worry about having as much for them to look at. Yeah, the desktop might look a little barren, but if 
Only 15% are looking at it. Who cares? We right. call it designing at the expense of desktop. We will actually proactively <laughs> encourage our UX teams on some projects to say, we had a couple of client, um, they, uh, WCRA, World, uh, World uh, Champion Rodeo, Rodeo Association. And um, uh, like 95% of their traffic was mobile, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, and so we were like, you know what, the, the desktop experience is going to get the shaft, you know, and, uh, and we're okay with that because it didn't make sense. It made sense to focus entirely on the mobile experience. And I will mention something you said earlier about A-B testing is, and I don't know who the audience of this podcast is, if it's, you know, uh, people that work at enterprise or if it's SME. We've got marketers, entrepreneurs, and a lot of freelance SEOs. So, you know, there's a, there was a study that came out uh, in 2017 that said for um, you know, marketers will spend $93 to get people to arrive on their website through, through, you know, paid advertising and all of the different shenanigans that you're trying to do, you know, to get people and $1 to get them to convert. And, and it was this huge disparity. And I think that the, the answer to the reason why they did a lot of research into this, and I wish I could find the, the authors of this, they're pretty awesome. I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but they were like, it, it, the problem with, with uh, conversion optimization is that it, it's multidisciplinary. You know, yeah. um, you can go and hire a company um, to, you know, to, to do paid advertising or SEO or, or, or content marketing. But if you engage a consultancy that does CRO, the, the cost of that agency is like 10x, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah. Most uh, of the ones I've talked to, um, you know, the site tuners and the conversion XL start at like $20,000 yeah, a month. 25 grand, a, 25 grand a month to me is probably the base. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't, I mean, I have maybe one company that I know, um, Conversion Sciences. Uh, these, I don't know if their price is ever right. And maybe they'll, they'll, they'll get a Google alert if this gets transcribed. But, uh, you know, they're, I think they're around 10 grand a month. You know, that's okay. the cheapest. And they're, and they're awesome. They're really good. Um, but, uh, you know, you need data scientists, you need, you know, de- developers and, and most developers aren't, they, they don't know how to do and implement CRO and, and, and having multi-page or multi-varied or use these testing tools that are very technical. And, um, and, you know, they, it's not, I think it, sometimes it's scary. It's not as complicated as it really has to be, but the point is you have to conceive the test. And then you have to track it and then you have to interpret the results and then you have to do something with the data. And that requires user experience and designers and, you know, it requires a driver. Somebody needs to be in charge of all that. And it's not a a role that most businesses typically have sitting around ready to do that kind of work. Yeah. Um, And I know, I know last time we, well, we've already talked quite a bit about mobile and mobile experience. Um, I know, I know both of us are big fans of both WordPress and, uh, and Shopify, any any words of praise or warning uh, about platforms, website platforms out there that um, that you have for business owners that are like, hey, I'm I'm going to create a new website and um, I'm e-com, should I Shopify or stay away from X and I'm lead gen, uh, WordPress, stay away from you know Joomla. Any uh, any suggestions as it relates to CMSs? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the, um, Jim Collins wrote a book. Um, great by choice. And he talks about this concept of a smack recipe, you know, for a business, the idea is that you have like a, like a a list of your, you know, how do you consolidate your business strategies? And the the challenge is, 
you can't be everything to everyone. Early in our in our company's history, I tried to support Expression Engine, which I think is now you know long gone, and mm-hmm. uh, Joomla and Drupal and WordPress and you yep. know other platforms. And the problem is, you can't be an expert at every platform. And I think what you're seeing right now in the marketplace is actually the opposite of generalization. I think it's role specialization. I think some of the very best companies, especially if you want to scale and grow quickly, you have to find a an audience, a specific audience, and then you have to deliver at a high level, you know, uh, to that audience. And so, you know, I think that you do have to, in some ways, pick the platform that you want to be, you want to specialist at. But but at the same time, there's also this myopic kind of vision where like, we don't want to say we make WordPress websites because what if WordPress is out of favor in five years? I don't know. I I love WordPress because it's ubiquitous and it's open source. And that's important Mm -hmm. to me. You know, autonomy is important, you know, just not having that proprietary license platforms. Um, But Shopify is a great platform, you know, but I, so my word, my word of advice would be embrace best practice um, which means, you know, there are platforms that are widely supported and it makes sense to support those. Um, you build your business, uh, by being able to target a larger audience, you know, so that there is a statistically more of a chance you're going to find someone that's interested in your services. Sure. But at the same time, I think that you need to have a beginner's mind, right. You know, to, uh, you know, what's coming down the road, you know? So for example, I, I have a saying, I say, I don't want to be the first, I don't want to be last, <laughs> you know? Because I don't want to suffer the pain of being the early innovator, you know, that, you know, is out in the front. But I also don't want to suffer the pain of getting completely left behind. Um, and so that's been our approach. Um, Makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah. It also might make sense, too, for business owners to to go with what the, what the core competencies are of the folks they've chosen to work on the website. So somebody came to you because uh, of your reputation and you said, we're going to suggest this platform. Right. For business owners, if your designer and your developers are looking at your scope of your project and they suggest a platform, they probably know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that maybe it might not be a bad idea if 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 you have any experience in the industry and someone's recommending something that you've never heard of. Right. Yeah. You might want to say, ask a few more questions or get a second opinion. You know, sure. um, I don't think that you should, you know, if someone says, hey, we're going to build your website in WordPress, I don't think you really have to worry too much about, is that the right platform? I mean, if they're really good at it and you trust them, then I would go with them. <laughs> you know? can, I, can I answer two questions in one? One of ours is any obvious or not so obvious risks that uh, you feel like business and site owners should be taking as they approach website design. I think choosing the right CMS is probably at the core of that. So it's not something custom built by somebody who's you know, kind of making up his own language and his own logic. So the next web designer gets in and goes, who did this? Right? Yeah. It's like trying to and, stick to some standards. right? And, and, you know, so I do the sales at Glide and, um, you know, I've had, I mean, we've probably been a part of a th- a th- almost a thousand projects in the last 20 years of, of, of some type or size. Um, or at least, you know, and, and, and so you can imagine I've probably had like 5,000 conversations with, with potential clients overall the feeling. discovery calls and needs analysis calls and proposals. And, and so I love helping people and I love kind of talking with new, new potential clients and kind of coaching them and encouraging them on the path they should take. And you know, I always encourage them that the best thing that you can do when you're starting out as a business owner or as a marketer, you know, if you're a marketing professional and you're interviewing a company like Glide is I would recommend try to find at least three viable options you know and and what i mean by that is that you like their work 
that you see their you see yourself in their portfolio. So like if you're, you know, a landscaping company, they have other landscaping companies. If you are a, a, a tech SaaS membership platform that they have other tech SaaS membership or platforms. an attorney right? that they work with other attorneys. Yeah. yeah. So, so number one, you know, relevant experience. And then also that when you speak with them, you know, you get that gut feeling, even if you're not an expert in technology, most people that are hiring someone to build something have some type of savvy where they can listen to someone and just tell that they know what they're talking about. Yep. And so I always say, you know, listen to that gut feeling. And, and then third is, you know, are they within your price range? Because I think it's unfair, you know, to find an organization that you love their work, um, that you, that you feel like they're very trustworthy, but they're way outside of your price range. And then you're comparing yep. them to another organization that's less trustworthy that is in your price range. So I always recommend, you know, definitely try to find, you know, those three, and then that way you have, you know, you'll be able to make a qualified decision. And it, it requires some legwork. You know, it requires you to go pound the payment and, you know, and find other options if, if the folks you meet, it, you know, don't. I love, I love reporting too. I've, I've asked a few times, you know, hey, I, I, without disclosing who your clients are, could you, could you show some examples of, you know, a, a screenshot of an analytics showing conversion rate? I don't need to look at the numbers. I don't need to know the number. I just want to show, show me, show me something that says what you did increased the uh, number of people who are actually becoming customers who visit the website. And, and a lot of them are happy to show that we don't know who their clients are. We don't know how much traffic they're getting. We just see the percentile. Heck, it could be, you know, went from two visits to four visits. We don't know, but yeah. we want to know that they know how to find that and that they care about it. And that those metrics are, are key to, you know, what they hold themselves accountable to with their clients. So I love that. Travis, I know we're getting short on time and, I know I've got to get going here in a second, but I want to make sure that everybody who's who's been listening to a couple of these different conversations that we have has a way that they can get a hold of you and ask some of their own questions about usability and conversion rate and about how Glide might be able to help them out. What's the best way they can reach you? Uh, so honestly, just visit our website, you know, glidedesign.com. Um, obviously, wherever this is going to be digitally placed, hopefully they'll be a link. Yeah. All the places. Yeah. Yeah. Pop-ups <laughs> and everything. You know. um, but, uh, you know, so visit our website and if they like what they see and they're interested also, you know, we're not obviously doing this necessarily to drive business, but just to help people. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're reaching out, don't think that you're having to reach out from a business context. You know, uh, I love answering questions and, and mm -hmm. my, I could put my email, Travis at glidedesign.com. If you could put that in, you know, wherever we post this, as well, I'd, I'd be more sure. than happy to respond. Perfect. Well, you you heard Travis. If you've got a question and you want to have him take a look at your site and make some suggestions, um, it's a great way for, for you to find somebody who can help you increase the number of people who are actually doing something on your website. Uh, I highly recommend it. And we've worked, Travis, we've worked together for a while. Um, super, you know, impressed at everything that you've been doing and excited to hopefully do another episode with you in the future. So thanks yeah. for joining us today. And guys, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been it's been wonderful.